You are listening to Is There an Echo in Here? A podcast about Echo and the Bunnymen. Birds are chirping. Yes. Shane's stomach is growling. My stomach is growling. (laughs) It's summertime. My coffee is cooling. (laughs) Um, Welcome. It's real. To this podcast. It really is all about Echo and the Bunnymen. Don't think it isn't. Episode 11. That's where we're at. Um, And this is a podcast where I come into my husband's studio and I take it over. And I make him set up a bunch of equipment, recording equipment and a mic, and I make him talk about Echo and the Bunnymen for hours and hours. <laughs> it's right? my pleasure, darling. <laughs> yeah. You know what they say, happy wife, happy life. <laughs> so, so, um, and so I like to know what I was interrupting when I came on in here. What were you up to this morning? Well, today I was... Uh, I was actually working on my singing and my songwriting. I'm working on a bunch of songs and singing. And I had actually relocated my uh, singing and songwriting practice into the basement of our home. <laughs> There's a little room down there. I call it the sub-basement. And uh, I'll come up with another name for it. Maybe Eric's. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I'm just down there and just singing and recording myself and listening back and trying to uh sing you know pull it together here (laughs) gonna launch my singer songwriter career later this year yes well we are so glad about that and that's one thing i want (laughs) to say about this episode um we've got a great episode for you um if i can remember what we talk about we talk about ian's uh clothing choices his hair we talk about his hair <laughs> again we talk let me tell you one thing about this episode is we t- i talk i am really really excited to talk about uh singing with you all today <laughs> i sound like you know a damn music theater <laughs> person <laughs> <laughs> and i didn't know i knew so much um Anyway, I grew up in the theater. My dad was, you know, in the theater. My mom worked backstage. So I guess all those vocal warm-ups just rubbed off on me. And I am just so stoked to be very loudly and excitedly talking about the, the human voice. So listen, we talk at length about Ian McCulloch singing. That's right? right. You know, that's like... We're not entering chorus class here. We do a deep analysis of, of Ian's singing. That's right. That's deep, deep, right. Deep. And so that's why I want to just point out, because I don't say this in the podcast yeah. here and now, that I am not a singer. I am not a professional oh, singer. I've never a good sung. singer. Stop. Listen. listen. Oh, hey, listen to me. Yeah. Listen. I, it's not so much that I'm a good singer. It's yeah, that I do a really yeah, I'm a good imitator. I can do That's I what can it's do called. I can do Ian McCulloch is the best, you know, range for me to sing in. But I can also do a little Robert Smith, right? <laughs> I can give you a little Susie. Yeah. Right? You I know? Mean, I can who else can I can do pretty impressive. I can do uh, some Sisters of Mercy for you. You know, if you sing something, I know every in little little detail of the intonation of Robert Smith's of Cure songs, because like, I've been practicing them since I was, you know, 11. And they say after doing something, how many hours? A hundred hour, whatever, you're an expert. And so oh, 10, I am an expert. <laughs> and yeah. so maybe I'll, you know, I'll do, I'll, I'll pull out a little Robert Smith for y'all sometime. Don't worry. Um, but we don't just talk about singing. We also talk about bathrooms. We talk about <laughs> we talk about Eric's. We talk about the Eric's bathrooms. We talk about the malodorous <laughs> atmosphere. 
We talk about... Of youth dungeons. We talk about the music business for like a second. <laughs> what else do we talk about? I don't know. I just know that you guys are going to love this one. We're so glad you're here. We are so glad. So, so pull up a chair, you know, sit by the fire, get yourself a, a warm or a cool beverage. It's summertime now. And, and let's get lost together, shall we? In the world of the Echo and the Bunnymen. So let's get back to that timeline. The timeline, <laughs> which is the story of a band called Echo and the Bunnymen. Yep, and we're just cruising right along here at a snail's pace. Yep. Um, listen, the band has not met yet. They have not even met, but they're about to in like three more episodes, okay? All right. Oh, each other? <laughs> each other. I thought you were like met someone. Right. <laughs> they have not met... See how that feels weird? <laughs> All right. <laughs> now, <laughs> listen. We have never met. They haven't met yet. <laughs> the three members that we've spoken about thus far, okay? Which is Ian McCulloch, vocals. Who's the guitar player? Will. Will what? Come on. Will Smith. No. You seriously? Oh, yeah, Will Sargent. All Sorry, right. I'm just kind of blanking. <laughs> Okay, and Les Pattinson. <laughs> okay, okay. So, um, so remember from last week, there's just a little murmur of punk that's just kind of rippling through the lives of these three kids yes. as it travels north, right? Right. So Les is starting to question the validity of Top Forty Radio, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Will remembers hearing the Sex Pistols. He's listening to some house music before a deaf school show. Sex Pistols. He hears it. Doesn't really care, but he hears it. He remembers hearing it, and um, he'll start to like them soon. And then, so let's get back to Ian. Okay. Now, meanwhile, he is still completely immersed in Bowie. Right? Yeah. He had the rite of passage where he goes to London and sees the White Duke tour. Yeah. Sees him at the Wembley Arena or whatever you call it. Wembley Pool or something. Wembley. Something. Stadium. Stadium. But they call it a pool. Like a swimming pool. But I think there's like a weird E at the end. Then after that, after he goes to see the show, he wants to go by Duke. That, that's what he wants people to refer to him as. Duke. <laughs> what a dork. <laughs> the Duke. That's funny. But here's the thing. We're not sure. There's like, there's a bit of a um, controversy here. We don't know if he wanted to be called <laughs> Duke. Dude, you're going to spill that coffee. <laughs> or, if, <laughs> or if it's the Duke. Or if his friend, Pete Wiley, just started calling him that. That's what he says. He's like, my friend called me that. Because we all know... If you give yourself a nickname, yeah. it's not a nickname. Right. Like, if I'm, if yeah, I'm yeah. like, like, come on with this. Dude, <laughs> drink some of that. Okay, I'm, I'm watching. I'm watching the coffee just, like, just like come up to the lip of the cup. I'm sorry. Just I like don't know. rocking back and forth. All I do in these podcasts is laugh, you know? It's like the no, only time good. in my life yeah, I'm yeah. happy. Okay. No. So, <clears throat> so, yeah, he says, so he says his friend calls him that. Have you ever had a nickname? Shane the Pain. <laughs> okay. And here's what I think happened. I think that... So Mac chose the name Duke? I don't, it was chosen for him? I think it was a little bit of both. I think somebody probably... like He's really emulating Bowie right. pretty hard. Yeah. And somebody said... Totally. Hey, Duke. You know, and he and he was probably like, yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah. And so then you do this thing like, dude, you know, only call me Duke, man. Yeah. Like, under your breath. But like, right. that's what I think happened. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. You know, and then, of course, he wants to separate from... Bowie at a certain point become his own his own man. Yeah, you don't want to just be a Bowie cover. No, no, but I mean, but I think respect that... to Bowie cover bands, but you know, yeah, totally. I know, I know some. Yeah, I mean, we all we all know some. We've all <laughs> we've all wanted to be the Bowie. We've all strummed a little bit of Space Oddity. Yeah. What's the one that I'm always space, playing? Space Oddity. No. Ground control. Yeah. Yeah, that's what that's I am. Space We don't know how he got his name, but... Duke. Duke. But that's what he's going by right, right around now. the same time Genesis put out an album called Duke. 
Okay, see, there's always a little Genesis tie-in with this band. Um, so <laughs> I'm sure that Will Sargent's a huge fan of the album Duke by Genesis. That that's considered Genesis's even more of a turn towards pop music, but not quite there yet from the prog rock. Okay, <laughs> after Trick of the Tail, post Gabriel's departure, <laughs> Lamb lies down on Broadway. Anyway. Just all right. erase all that. So now is when we're going to have like a talk. All right, back to Ian's look. Now, in the last episode, we spent a lot of time talking about how his appearance kind of like paved the way for his destiny. He felt like it was a confirmation that he was destined to be a star, that he had this kind of attractive, expressive appearance. Right? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, but let's talk about his clothes, okay? Yeah. Now... I like to refer to Chris Adams' turquoise days to get a feel for his look during this period of time. Now, this is like... This is like the definitive biography of Echo and the Bunny. It is. It's, you know, it's like my favorite book. And in this book, he gives two different descriptions of Ian's appearance. And I'm having trouble reconciling the two. So I want to explore them more deeply. All All right. right. Let's check it out. Okay. Exhibit A. Now, this is a description. He's quoting less about, you know, what Ian was wearing, like age 17, kind of like pre-punk-ish. Okay. Ian, all right? Okay. So, he had this gray anorak that he would wear. Now, I think that's a coat. I have no idea what that is. Right? Oh, oh. It's an anorak. So, let's look that up, okay? All right. There it is. Oh, yeah. All right. So, it's like a... It's a parka. It's a parka. It's a... It's got a hood. It's got a hood. It's lined with fur. Or faux fur. Or Yeah, so it's like a fur-lined jacket. Okay, all right. Okay, the Caribou Inuit invented this kind of garment, just, mm. just so you know, mm. right? Man, what is it called? Anorak. Anorak. <laughs> Anorak, right? So he's wearing that gray. So then he's got his trousers tucked into his socks. Okay. Trousers, Okay. I see. I remember. I mean, that was a phase yeah, in the 80s, yeah. late 80s. Like the knee breeches vibe. Like you got like your a boots. Pilgrim. All right. So a more billowy, but yet tucked into the socks. Not a straight, well, not, not trying to achieve the straight leg. Remember how you used to have to like fold your jeans over yeah. so they would be like tighter at the ankle? Yeah. Right. Just for a minute. But I don't know. But maybe it is more of like a, a billowing, <laughs> like a grade. like a MC Hammer. But you know what I mean? Well, Here come the hammer. Okay, I don't know, but I'm thinking this is more of a monotone and minimal look, you know? I mean, yeah. this is this is that thin white Duke phase that Susie calls, like, David Bowie's golfer phase. Golfer? Golfer. Okay. Yeah, that's what she calls him. I always liked that look, but it was interesting to hear Susie refer to him that way. Like, I think she was kind of mourning the diminishing of the glam aspect. Yes, well, but as Ian said, there's more to life than pumpkins, you know, Susie. (laughs) Yes, Susie. She's just like the queen of Halloween. Okay, so that's one of his looks, but see if you can reconcile it with this look, okay? All right. All right. So we're talking about a long green caftan. Caftan? A caftan. (laughs) <laughs> I can't read that. It's one of those words that, like, I always just thought it was a bathrobe. It's like one of those words oh. you just you assume you know and you just skip over. You're like, I get it, I get that word, but I don't really know. Like, what life. are the I've essential? It looks like I've wrote caftan. Caftan. <laughs> it's like, but I want to know what the essential qualities oh, of yeah, one well. of these are, like, okay. in the Kantian sense, right? Yeah. So it's like caftan. Okay, all right. It's like a dress. It's like a dress. This is what I thought. It's like a robe. It's like a muumuu with oh. a little more. It's a little more so ornate. Ian was wearing one of those. Yeah, so he's wearing green. So blah, blah, blah. okay, and he's he's pairing that with a polka dot shirt, right? Polka dot shirt. Okay. So that's a lot going on already. Yeah, yeah, that's All really right? different. And then some blue tinted Easy Rider. Shades. Now, what can you describe the Easy Rider shades? Are those like aviators? Are those like I don't know? Are those the circular ones? Let's let's check it out because yeah, he's got a little like blue tinted sunglass. He's gone like full full circle here. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. All right. Okay. They look like aviators. They're a little bit like the cop glasses, but maybe a little more oblong. Okay. Right. Like, yeah, cop oh, but, but dang, but... Oh, I see. But there's quite... It's a little heavy on the uh, 
why would you call that part of the sunglasses? The bridge. The bridge <laughs> is heavy. There's Peter Fonda. And there he is. And like, so th- this is, you know, he's finding himself, right? But one thing is for sure, and because we're really going to be tracking Ian's hair, it's important to him. It's important to us. It's important, you know. It's important. It's important. At this point, he is, again, he's giving you like a Keith Richards, kind of a mullety, more Ziggy Stardust mullety kind of, um, like a little more tousled and... yeah chewed looking yeah you know more of a silhouette that's a little more mullety and less like a parallelogram <laughs> wow <laughs> less yeah. mushroomy so he's gone like it's almost like he went really psychedelic though it is from being like really muted and sort of grungy in a way or not grungy but or like, he's oscillating we don't know which came first this just i mean he's less... experimenting with his look he's a teenager yeah. I, I think I went back and forth like that too, didn't you? Like try different yeah. styles and stuff as a kid. Yeah, you know, I tried like the grunge and the skater look, but then I was like, well, I want a little more kind of goth thing. And then you went so hippie. Gonna, so then I'm gonna try to go like to Kmart and just find like a black T-shirt there or like a, you know, like yeah. So yeah. Wow. But we don't we don't need to talk about the hippie phase. No, 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 no. Sorry. But I could see through it. I knew that you were. I had purple hair, so whatever. (laughs) So I was kind of mixing it up myself, you know, as you did in the '90s, right? There was always a little bit. You could have like a, you could wear that Cure shirt with your hemp necklace. There was a lot of blending happening. It's true. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's all we're all one, (laughs) and stuff. So (laughs) we're all. So he's starting to dress like a star, you know, he's starting to look the part. But what else can he do to prepare for this destiny of his, right? Yeah. He needs... Oh, Practice. Yeah. Okay. How about practice? <laughs> How about just... That's what I got next on my list, right? Okay. All right. He's singing, y'all. He is singing his motherfucking heart out. He is, is this pre- the blues I'm singing? He's singing those blues. He is really... Now, this doesn't get talked about enough. When you hear him... Sing for the first time in that Eric's, uh, the first Eric show that supposedly that they put on YouTube. You can tell this is a guy who has been practicing singing. And he's like got little tricks up his sleeve. He's got this like weird little vibrato thing yeah. he pulls out, kind of. He'll start crying. <laughs> He'll start, yeah. There you go. got a great ear he's got a great sense of pitch you know you can hear him bending notes like a promise that there are like half sing. tones there are half tones yeah. that he's singing like it's like a sitar he's what are those called microtones microtones like he can really use those even man can sing all right so i'm glad you know i'm sure you're happy he was practicing that's great right okay so yeah. he's been doing that so I'm glad he's, he did that no, you know. Shane's like, Shane's all about substance. You're more about substance than you are like appearance. Artifice. As we've said, it was really difficult for him to practice because he was... You know, living in a small house, he has a sister, an older brother, younger sister, both of whom are going to try and make fun of him, and like his mom's there, and he lives in a small house. It's hard to learn how to sing, and I just feel like, like from a very early age, it sounded like he had been singing for like 40 years when he was like really young. Yeah. And it seems like minimal practice, but I think there was a good bit of practice going on. I try to imagine like what he's doing to practice, you know. And we know it was hard, but it was like maybe he was walking down by the river up on the bridge and practicing Mm -hmm, singing mm -hmm. or walking through like an abandoned street. But apparently, you know, he talks about practicing at home. Yeah. And, you know, he always talks about like 
corralling his family into another room away from him so he can practice. So he would practice also to to David Bowie and to Lou Reed, and he'd be upstairs, and he'd put on these albums, and he would, quote, like, make his mom stay in the living room, right? Uh-huh. And he had to be in the dark to practice, uh-huh. which is interesting for developing audiation just to have all your yeah, other senses. Yeah, that makes senses. a lot of sense. That yeah, a lot of sense. right? So he would yeah. go in there in the dark, and he would practice, and but then he would notice a little bit of the light from downstairs, his mom, yeah. and it would bum him out. Then you become inhibited. Maybe so, yeah. You wanted to feel like you were alone floating in space, maybe. Who knows? Or just like, you know, in a dark room at the factory, just singing to yourself. Right. But he would practice. Just communing with the gods. Yeah. Oh, my God. Just. I I would think, obviously, he's got it, you know, and some people have a thing. But then you do need to still practice if you got it. I think you're exactly right. Like, I think there's some, you know, a natural sort of robustness to his voice because it's still going. Clearly, it was like a gift. And um, and it's really special. On the other hand, it's kind of like everyone in Liverpool can sing. Right. I mean, it was kind of like astounding, the sense, musical. His you tie voice it back to special. the sea shanty vibes, too. Like, if you think about the sea shanty yeah. culture. Yeah. Not, that, not that he was around that. But, like, the barroom singing and this, like, there's more public singing Exactly. To this day, I think. Now, he's that, so shy. Yeah. I don't know how much he no, engaged in that. But just hearing that. Because yeah, I noticed right. that if it's I, true. like, because I've always had a problem singing. Yep. And I don't think I was around enough singers. And I think in the last few years, I've been around a lot more singers. Right. And I feel like it's helped me improve because you're, there's some kind of, like, you know, it just rubs off on you the, the, like, the psychological state you need to be in to do it, but also something about even just like maybe subconsciously pulling in people's like facial muscle, like, you know, mirror neurons, you can watch somebody like drink a sip of coffee like Shane is, and you'll have kind of a sensation of doing it yourself. Interesting. Okay. So he's, he's learning, he's learning to use his voice and whose songs is he going to practice? Um, the doors. (laughs) (laughs) It would be Bowie. Of course. He's oh. going to practice some I thought Bowie it was a trick question. Okay, we have, yeah. All right, see? So, okay, right. yeah, I thought I was going to surprise you. No, I'm just leading you into the same old crap. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> so he practiced a lot of <laughs> Bowie surprise, songs. Surprise. Okay. And they, so they may have shared like a similar range at one point of their, you know, uh, oh, ability. Yeah. Like to, when he was younger, he might have been able to hit those high notes. Exactly. Yeah. With mm-hmm. a lot of clarity. Mm-hmm. But as he got older, we can only imagine as his balls dropped, so did his voice. Yeah. You know, it happens. But, um, you know, he still reaches for these notes that right. Bowie hits. Now, here's the other thing about Bowie. Bowie was not a natural singer. Mm-hmm. He apparently even had trouble with pitch at times. Oh. And he just had kind of a a voice that's sort of tight and limited, maybe. Yeah. But here's a guy who had to struggle for his voice. Bowie? Yes. Yeah. And you can still feel that. Like... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's so pretty when, virtuosic, though. That's the beauty of learning your voice and working with your limitations. Yeah. And he is a vocalist who learned to work with his limitations and yeah. failings, which is what Ian does with his voice, which right. gives it a very torn quality and a lot of uh, emotional uh Isn't the content. world like a lot less cool now that Bowie died? Think about that. Well, <laughs> yeah, it I mean, is. Well... Yeah, he left us with so much, though. I know, but, like, you know? Just, but you won't run into him at the pizza joint in like, Manhattan. <laughs> I miss you know? him, you know? <laughs> um, but he, you know, when David Bowie, like, goes into his head voice. Now, can you explain anything about the, the it's, it's not a real thing, the head voice, but there's often oh, a break right. in your voice. So when you go from, uh, and when I get about there, I'm like, uh, now I have to transition, I have to shift gears yeah. into a more kind of like, Kind of a falsetto-y high voice of head voice, they call it. Okay, so the head voice is like, "Ah," and then like the chest voice. Uh. (laughs) It doesn't even have to be that low. La, 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 la. Okay, these are are ranges to me when I'm in my chest, you know. Mm -hmm. It is the voice that I use for speaking and have a lot more control over it. Right, okay, so this is my chest voice right now. 
This is my chest That's voice. That's your chest voice. And so if you think about singing in this register, it's kind of like this, you know, it's kind if of like I, talking. If, if I was going to sing a song <laughs> to you using <laughs> my chest voice. Right. So then so then there's I the head voice, my though. my speaking voice. <laughs> and that would be really a nice choice all right okay. good good rhyming rhyming skills I'm freestyling <laughs> yeah I'm so you know master. like it is more like talking it's more like rapping you're in your you know and yeah so then your head voice it's kind of like when you do like baby talk or whatever it doesn't feel really natural and i don't have as much control over my voice and i'm really not like i'm using more of the nasal cavity mm -hmm. and my upper jaw yeah. When I'm singing. Okay. So they do voice exercises to help you um, develop your head voice because right. it's difficult for people. And I want to distinguish the head voice from a falsetto. Okay. So, so head voice is way up here, but a falsetto is like, I'm going to sing really. Okay, I'm going to get close to the mic. And I'm going to sing like I ain't one. <laughs> and there's... Oh baby, why don't you come? Like there's this that, breathiness. That's, that's, what is that voice? That's, that's falsetto. Voice. That's falsetto. Because there's some of the vocal chords are not singing. I am so glad you brought him up. He is the perfect example. He has a gorgeous falsetto because falsettos can be really beautiful too. And um, yeah, I'm just so glad to have an excuse to play. Here he is presenting Elliot Smith. could throw in a musical example here okay because this is a really good one okay. and it's very obscure but it's something i'm into a lot is a singer named uh, john jacob niles and he is Perfect. in an extremely We've high talked about him on the podcast before but nobody knows who he is though so <laughs> so we'll have some examples here oh something rosy fair the paradise face on the but he is often in this extremely high head voice falsetto. Yes, no, I think you say head voice because he's. It's a strong. Sometimes remember falsetto is the annoying. It's like whispery. It's like whispery. It's like close talk. Ah, ah, you know. So you know what it's about? It yeah. sounds like I'm asking, but yeah. maybe it is. Maybe it's about this. Is uh, there's more openness in the. Th the back of your throat and your and your like because when you when when you're using um your head voice as opposed to your falsetto you have more control i notice that when i work on my singing you actually have to warm up i think for me anyway to get to where your head voice has it, you, you don't go into a falsetto to hit the right note and then you have a there's more resonance it's a little like vocal fry who does vocal fry a lot uh katie perry she yeah. uses it as a device. Man, I was actually listening to the Simon and Garfunkel song that my daughter, our daughter, Elena, yeah. do you know her? That she, <laughs> that she really likes by Simon and Garfunkel called Patterns. And there's this part on there where Paul Simon sounds like Billy Corgan or something. And he goes, the rat dies. Yes. And she likes, she's dies. like, Daddy, I want to hear the song about how the rat dies. Pattern never alters until the rat dies. And you hear that but, little... But they that, put a bunch of reverb on it, though, and, it's, and they're like, EQ up the treble. Okay, so the falsetto... Okay, so, like, it's, it's a thinner sound, and it is in the head, and it uses the thin leading edges of the vocal folds to vibrate. This is on vocalcoach.com. Interesting. Isn't that interesting? And then head voice can be defined as a mix of chest and head voice. That's why. That's why it's stronger you know, than a falsetto, it's, and it's it's less resonance, like because yes. like you don't have that open. There's thing. there's it, breakages in like the the note isn't quite continuous in a way it seems like because it's, but but let me talk about the break in the voice. Okay, okay. Yeah. so this is when you're transitioning between vocal registers from the chest to the head voice, and it is not an easy transition for most people. Right. Everyone Breaks who learns to sing has to like learn to work with their breaks, okay? And some people have them worse than others. I have a terrible break in my voice, so you can hear it right now. Let me stand over here. Ready? Uh, okay. Did you hear did you hear that yodeling sound? So it's like <laughs> <laughs> 
from the cranberries. Can I try? It's like zombie. Country thing. It's a yodeling thing. Yeah. It's a yodeling thing. In the minute, I'm trying to think of a song that does that in the country. Yeah, let's hear you do your vocal. Let's hear okay, where your break is at. Here we go, right? All right. Yeah, it's usually indicated by like a skipping sound, like a, like a CD though, right? skipping. I said I heard that. Yeah. yeah, I have my students do this. Because but you did a good job, kind of like trying to slow down. It's like switching gears. Yeah, you did a good job of kind of disguising it for a second until been you were a little bit high. I've been right? right, but then it broke when you were in a higher range. Right. But you were kind of stretching, I think, your chest voice a little bit and working with it. And you know, you're doing great. Thanks. I'll just keep at it. Uh, I have my <laughs> students do that exercise who are shy about singing. Because one thing happens when people are shy about singing, they go like super flat and they just kind of don't really hit any notes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so I, so I do that with like young kids to get them to open up, but also to like wake their voices up. Also because it helps you to explore your range so that when you have to reach for a higher note, you have experienced the feeling of hitting a higher note. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's not like, you know, it's like you have a, so you have to explore the region yeah. of uh, pitch. Well, you know what all this reminds me of? What's that? The greatest voice crack in history. What's that one? It's like uh, this opera singer. Oh, it's like an old yeah. recording of an opera singer. <laughs> we have to we have to put that in. He's here. a tenor. We have to look that up. Um, this is the perfect example of a voice, uh, a break in the voice. It's really a voice crack. Oh God, let's just listen to it. Okay, <laughs> hold on. <laughs> Every time, yeah. Every time I was hearing it. <laughs> Show must go on, man. Show must go on. A man keeps on singing. Bowie does with that break and just in general is he tends to like contract around it and Bowie too you can see him like clenching his jaw and his you know teeth it's a very tight mm -hmm. controlled mm -hmm. there's forced vibrata and then yeah. he has kind of a natural one so when you think about like I saw my baby yeah, yeah. he does this like you know kind yeah, of yeah okay yeah yeah and like in Labyrinth yeah and that one song where she's like in the maze and he's like Right? You know, Labyrinth, that, that always comes back to me. That was my first Bowie album. I forget how, like, <laughs> like, and now you bring that up, just how affected that is. You know? It's very affected. Yeah. You feel um, there's th this formal sort of attempt to control. Uh, what was I? So, yeah, so working with the break in your voice and working with, like, the limitations of your, you know, your upper registers and all this stuff is, like, what gives your voice character, right? So Bowie's got a lot of character in a way. Yeah. But you know, here's the thing. He, I mean, he really can soar as a tenor. You know, but I, th well, I always, I think of um, Life on Mars when he's oh, like, because right. that's the, the highest note in that song is like this like, Oh man. And you can hear the, no, the but trembling. The, but the highest note actually you ever know. Like, let's listen to Life on Mars. They isolate his vocal track. I mean, you can really hear. Oh, like some uh, imperfections? Yeah, well, no, I mean, not really imperfections. They're, this one is kind of highlighting his. Um, and her daddy has told her to go. But her friend is nowhere to be seen. Now she walks through her sunken dream. To the seats with the clearest view And she's hooked to the silver screen Like this is a guy who apparently had a little trouble with pitch at first. Now he's going and he is hitting those high notes and they're interesting, he, you know, his voice. 
mean, he's learned to work with that voice. Yeah, and he can uh, harmonize like a motherfucker. Oh my god! Well, then that's a sign of having like pitch, and you know, you practice yeah. that stuff, and he yeah, he's gotten he he and develops. He's, he you can develop yeah. it too, listener. Yeah. You can get it, Shane. You can. You can. Well, you have to, you know, really think about stuff and practice. Well, practice, but also think about thinking about it. Yeah. Think about what you're doing. Okay. You know, just think about it. <laughs> but let me tell you, okay, now Ian's voice is different from Bowie's in many ways. It's richer. Mm-hmm. It's a lot deeper. So it's, Bowie's a baritone. Is right. Ian, like I tried to look this up because I don't really know. Is he a bass? He's not. I don't know, but it's interesting to hear you say that. You're right. Like I think I'm just hearing them in my head and like, yeah. and, and there's something more spacious about Ian's voice. Yeah, I think his emotional power comes from like the exhale and the fact that it, there's this kind of wild abandon when he'll try to hit a note. Right. And then he also works with the failure of not being able to hit that note perfectly, which is really all singing is, is like learning how to, you know, practicing your fall, like learning right. to make your your limitations work. Totally. It's I don't know how many times I'm going to well, say that. Yeah, but. you know, well, there's, there's something about pitch, though. That people, I've studied it a little bit because I was struggling with pitch matching, mm-hmm. and, and and neurologically, like they've done tests, like neurologists have done tests where they've hooked people's oh. brains up, and studied what happens when they're given a pitch to sing. Uh-huh. Um, they play a pitch for them. They have like control groups. There's like two groups or whatever. I don't know. You know, it's a it's a science. It's science. They have some people and they they're gonna they're gonna do something to one group and something else to another group and see what's going on and monitor their brain waves. And that thing is, is people who have trouble with pitch, they mm-hmm. would play the pitch and then get them try to get them to sing it. And people would, with correction, they would get where they could do it or whatever uh-huh. but then given the opportunity to sing the note again uh-huh. they would land perfectly on that slightly flat pitch or that wrong pitch like oh. the, like and it's an and so they think it's like a neurological like fixed pathway right w- within like the synapse or whatever you know and so where you're just immediately mi- gonna misfire the same way over and Whoa. over again i was studying this because i was really struggling i'm like because i'm like a very accomplished musician you know mm-hmm. on the guitar and uh, as a on composer, anything, piano, you know, drums, anything you, pick you up know, I just play. I understand music on a theoretical a level. Ear. I know you how to have practice. A great ear, it's so weird. But, but then but the singing, when you sing, <laughs> I've improved a lot. But it's helped to study that. And but the main thing, my biggest improvement has been in the last like year, I think, last several months even, where it's like purely psychological. Mm-hmm. I stopped caring. And then I start, and I and I had to brainwash myself. And there's a great book on this called Effortless Mastery by Kenny Werner. If you have trouble singing, mm-hmm. or you, or play any instrument that you feel like inhibited about, or or, or like uh, you know like you're just not good enough, mm-hmm. you know, then you it like it, it's designed to quote brainwash you oh. into loving the sound of your voice, loving everything that comes out of your instrument. Yeah. And you and you and they have these like exercises where you're like. I am a master, or you know, you sing a note, yeah. just let a note, any note, fall out of your mouth, just be like, bah, you know, and then you're like, yes. and then you tell yourself that is the most beautiful note I've ever heard, sure. over and over and over again, oh. and it's a way of kind of like, just affirming it. And then you think about singers that suck. I always yeah. think of Ian McKay, who I love. <laughs> totally, he has terrible fucking pitch. It's yeah. all, it's like atrocious, and yeah. yet he makes and beautiful. his voice is yeah can. Is not it's just like an everyman voice yeah, it is. Most part. <laughs> and 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 yeah it works and Absolutely. it's purely psychological because he's projecting this personality there's this other thing well there's these other elements yeah. and, and ian has all those other elements and he or, can scream he can do those, the growl those spiritual elements those elements yeah. of soul that like you know you hear like a lot of blues musicians that yeah. are like playing their guitar in like super idiosyncratic ways or singing in super idiosyncratic ways and, and you know, maybe not technically correct and all this kind of shit. Yeah. And it's amazing and it communicates to more people than like an opera singer who's, you know, had like years of training and has this like incredibly like a- athletic voice. struggle so hard you know he was looking up to a man who was pushing himself beyond his range you know vocally and perhaps otherwise 
So Ian's gonna do the same and like, instead of harnessing his power, the power of his voice, he learned to struggle with his voice. And he learned to try to hit pitches that were beyond him. And Ian kind of has this part of him in his early works. Now he doesn't like his early singing. Okay. Um, and he now has changed it a bit, you know? Um, because he felt like he was over singing and singing too much like Bowie. And I get what he's saying, but I think his voice was a lot more unique than he thought at the time. Like the way that um, his voice breaks down and carries, it was very different. Mm -hmm. He pronounces his vowels now. And, you know, he says his E's now in a way that like Lou Reed and Bob Dylan do. Uh -huh. He's, but that? he, What's that E, he just really says the E. Yeah. Now Lou Reed was his feel? other, exactly like that. But Lou Reed was his other, like, vocal hero, which is very strange. I can see why it's more comfortable for him to not oversing and to be very simplistic. And it's very Dylan-esque. They're, they're similar. I Ian and Dylan? No. Lou Reed and Dylan. Lou and Dylan. I spaced out for a second. Sorry. <laughs> cool. All right. That's enough about that anyway. <laughs> Alright, so he's he's preparing himself to be a musical icon, but he needs a place to go where he's gonna be seen and make connections. And what is his next step gonna be in the process of becoming a you know a musician and a star? Get a band. Well, both of these questions are answered the day that Pete Wiley comes over to his house. Now, Bunny fans, get out your pen and paper. Pete Wiley, write it down if you don't know him already. This is the first Pete we're going to talk about, all right? Okay. And it won't be the last. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because as you know, everybody associated with the band is named either Pete, Bill, Will, Ian, and then there's a Jake. Peter Rabbit. There's a Peter. There's Pete's. Pete, Bun Pete, Pete. Bunnies. Oh. I'm correlating. Now, Pete Wiley is this gregarious character. I love the sound of this guy. I love a guy who will talk your ear off, tell you some stories. This is a guy who's like a motor mouth. He, he just never shuts up. He's his friend. Yeah. Comes over there and they make a good pair because Ian's silent. Uh-huh. But Pete is a talker, you know? Yeah. He'll just tell you stories and just, I love somebody you can just sit there, be chill, and they'll just fill out the space. Yeah. Just like, like me. Yeah. Yeah. Just, it never. Open the floodgates. Yeah. It never stops. I always know what room you're in. You just talk, talk, talk. If you're not playing guitar, you're talking. So, you and Pete, man. Just two cocks Pete, on the block. Just Pete Wiley. Pete two Wiley. Two cooks in the kitchen. Yep. Now, he comes over and he's like, hanging out and he he reaches under ian's bed and he's like what what's this guitar you got here you got this old guitar from a catalog that your mom got you let me tune it for you he knows how to tune a guitar he tunes it up for ian nice when he's finished tuning the guitar he says hey there's this new club this new club called eric's would you like to go with me it just opened let's let's go let's we go become members and yeah. check it out this happened on September 11th, uh -huh. 1976. Wow. All right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so let, let's go on down to Eric's now. As we've said, this guy, what's his name? Roger Eagle. Yep. His name is not Eric. It's not Eric. I almost said Eric. <laughs> But I'm becoming quite the expert now. That's right. That's right. On this particular social scene. Yes. So, mm -hmm. Eric's. All right. So, Roger Eagle secures this lease. He was a DJ and a concert promoter who manages to open a club. Open a club against all odds. Right. He's facing. The Liverpudlin Mafia yep. that rules the streets yep. and, and like 
handles the the real estate there. Yeah. But he secures this lease. It's just like a, a dingy basement or something. Right. They don't. Right. They're, they're just like, wow, sure, man. Yeah. So just go for it. This is of, of no use to us. So, let's paint a picture of this place. Okay. All right. So you got so you open a door, and when you open that door, yeah, you enter and you descend immediately down a flight of stairs into a basement. Just okay. We're from America. The houses and the buildings around here are maybe like 100 years old. They're really old. Yeah. In Europe, you are facing 700 years sometimes yeah. of urine, mm. skin dander. Like this is an old building. We don't know how old, but old. it's different old. This is like different. Yeah, it's not, uh, okay. it's not new. Okay. The filth of this particular institution is indescribable. Okay, it was not uncommon to see a rat scurry across the bar. Wow. All right, but keeping with the layout, you know, you so you go down this this basement, these stairs. Steep flight of stairs enter the cavernous. Now this is this is Chris Adams writing here. You enter the cavernous grotto of the club. Okay, it was filthy. And there were frequent flooding problems. Now, we all know what that means. It means fecal matter. Mm -hmm. It always does. Always does. Never. You can't, you know, hit groundwater without just hitting some human shit, right? Humans have been just pooping on this surface of this planet for so long. I mean, and let's talk about the toilets for a moment, okay? The toilets at this bar were... Quote, undiscussable. So let's not talk about them, right? But we know that the ladies' room was slightly less malodorous. Malodorous. Love, love that word. Chris Chris Adams with the $100 words. Yeah. Huh. So as usual, the women's room is cleaner, you know? Always is. Y'all, I don't know. I mean, what what's up with that? You just... Well, it's just a pee-pee spray. <laughs> Just the whole standing up and peeing thing. They, you, like you just stand and pee in the water, and it sprays all over the place. And the problem is, is it's not apparent. It's just like a little drop here and there each time, you know. But then that accumulates into like a lot of urine that has splashed outside of the toilet on the ceiling. I mean, you know, sometimes if you hit a drop of water just right, it can like fly up to the ceiling. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's, it's just, everywhere. It's just a, it's a like. Like a problem. The, the variables are infinite uh, when you stand up and urinate into a bowl full of water. Now, the males would occasionally duck furtively into the women's room hmm. sometimes. Like if they had the poop, themselves. probably because they didn't want to sit on yeah. a toilet seat. Where a rat is just like... No, no, that's covered in urine. And rats, yeah. Yeah, but like, for example, let's say I'm at like... Okay, there's a club in Asheville called The Moth Light, all right? <laughs> and it is a nice club. Yeah. I was going to say... However, no, like, but the bathroom, I don't know what the women's room's like. Great. The men's room reeks of urine. It's <laughs> disgusting. And it there, is a nice club, by the way. It's a nice club, very nice club. Yeah. And they the know this. They know this. It's great. We had our Echo and the Bunnyman show there. I put on all my makeup in there. No, it's like the a men's hang. room is horrendous. <laughs> and you know, I because uh, Jeff, the concert promoter, was talking to the owner, John. He was like, "When you guys do something about the bathrooms in here, man?" And John's like, "What the hell can I do?" Because like every so often, an employee will like go the extra nine yards and like bleach the living shit out of the men's room but it's like this insane amount of work you can't do that every single night and so they just have resigned to the fact that the men's room it, it just stinks Are yeah urinals yeah there's just, just a couple of urinals and then yeah. it doesn't matter though but you know what it is it's dark kind of in there too so anyway bottom line is this <laughs> in the unfortunate circumstance that you're you have to poop and you're there it really sucks you know <laughs> Because then you're involved in like a really lot of toilet paper to like 
wipe the seat down and then like lay you know lay the toilet paper across the seat and it's just the whole affair is really gross so i imagine sneaking into the woman's room would be if there no would be some multiple stalls yeah if there's no one in there then yeah. you just kind of take care of business um but you know this was like in the in the 70s and the 80s before we had like the non-binary gender equality movement where now you know in in places like Asheville, you can, you know, there's no gender separation. It doesn't matter what your anatomy is. You don't have right. to sneak into this room because you have a dong. Or if you got a vagina, you got to go in here. Yeah. You know, it's like annoying. Yeah, segregation. Yeah. Yeah. But I do feel like there should be the fancy bathroom and then the bathroom, you know, where you do like your wild, like stand up and whiz, you know, like where you just go. Okay. You know, but then the but fancy one. But do you pay one, for the fancy one? No, no, no. It's oh. just like fancy instead of like male, female. It's just like people who are gross and, <laughs> and people who aren't. Yeah, just yeah. like separate. You know who you are. If you're gonna stand and pee and just be like that guy, and you're wasted, then you go. Like in Europe, <laughs> when they make you pay to go to the bathroom. So that's Eric's, right? Now and the poop part of our podcast. <laughs> All right, but that, it's essential information. It's like you need to know about the, the gory details. Because I've had to read about it on numerous occasions, like every time you talk about Eric's, it's often discussed. The aroma. Yes. You know, the sanitation. Yeah. The rats, to me, I mean, that, to me, is beyond. I've, you know, I've lived among the rats. But um, smell is but a really bar. important sense, you know, it really triggers some some uh, memories. memories. And, and we have to know, like, all about this stuff, because in these basements that are covered in filth is where the, the magic kids, happens. Yep. The youth come to connect with one another. And like, how many times have you been in just a mildewed basement? Exactly. And playing video games and Dungeons and Dragons, listening to records. I mean, you have to forge these Eventually spaces. Eventually doing drugs. Yeah, I mean, if you're fortunate enough to have one of these spaces in your town, like for me, like preteen, it was the Hole in the Wall Club. It was like uh-huh. this little bar. It may not have been carpeted, but I sw- it felt carpeted, you know, like a carpeted place. Yeah, and carpeting. It was Tiny, probably built in like I don't know the seventies or something. I don't just in a lot. Period. Appear. I mean, for real. What do you soft? We want a soft fuzzy floor. <laughs> I mean, that's so stupid. I know, man. Where was I going? Oh yeah. So, and it was just like this place to me. It was it was like Black Lodge for preteens. It was just a dark. Ooh. Yeah, it was just. Well, that's it, scary. I know intense shit going on when you're like a preteen when you haven't really found each other yet, and you know, like summer of seventh grade was all about listening to Floodlands by Sisters of Mercy and Danzig and just having a séance in the parking lot of the Young Adult Night at this hole in the wall joint. I mean, and you know, like through the darkness of future's past, the magician longs to see <laughs> one chance out between two worlds, fire. Walk with me. Dang. All right. But, you know, then it got a little more laid back. We had, like, the Tom Brown Park shows. Like, you know, kids would organize places for other kids to meet each other right. and to and for bands to play. Like, everyone came together for the afternoon. Do you right. have spaces like that yeah, growing up? Yeah, yeah. Like an open mic? Yeah, like, like where there's, like, an open mic. I remember a place called the Hot Moon Cafe. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember a place that I'm forgetting the name of now. They don't last long. Yeah, they don't last long. It's always... Yeah, they're always... They got like a Mm two-year kind of life cycle. Eric's was actually like around a lot longer for like a punk club, you know? I mean... They're still around, but they're now, they're like corporate. Yeah. Well, yeah, they closed and maybe reopened as like the something brand else. Exists. The brand exists. It's kind of like, like the, CBGBs. The knitting, or the knitting factory exactly. in New York. Yeah. It's like just a sweatshop for musicians mm-hmm. as opposed to... A place where culture is spontaneously emerging in an organic way. Totally. But what else do I need to say about... Okay, but I also need to just... (laughs) So I also need to talk about, like, what the club looked like, aside from, you know, the shit on the walls. So you walk in, and there's, like, a bar area. And that's... There's two rooms. And beyond that is the show space. And it's red and black. And they'd be playing 
the best music in the world through the PA when there wasn't a show going on. And this is the difference between like the show spaces we had access to and the one in Liverpool is that Roger Eagle was the DJ. I mean, he was the visionary DJ. So it's like you go to Eric's and you hear like your favorite song, you hear like your Bowie, but then you hear a new song that, is now your new favorite song that you've never heard before, or you hear music from another time, another generation, sounds that you never thought were possible. You know, you're a young adult. The jukebox, which I think was in the bar area. I've seen pictures of it, though. It's against the wall. It's a red wall. And it was legendary. And, like, I think I took a picture. There was, like, there's an album called Eric's Jukebox, and uh, it has some of the songs listed. It's, like, The Rays. Oh, Playboy's Jungle Fever, which is just such a universe into itself, that song. Like, I don't know a lot of these. We got Jungle Fever. That was a Spike Lee joint. (laughs) We got Bobby Day, three young rebs from Georgia. Again, Georgia, you know, where I'm from. Lamar Morris, The Fugitive, The Whalers, Bobby Lee. I mean, just This is like a playlist from Eric's? This is from the jukebox. Oh, wow. Yeah. that And they made a compilation That's tape cool. that you can purchase on, I don't know, whatever. Uh, it's Jukebox at Eric's Volume 1 Rock and Roll. Oh, and cool. it's a vinyl collection. I know. We got to look for that. But, uh... Yeah, so legendary jukebox. I've never been around one of those. It's like the jukebox at Hooters where you'd buy cigarettes. It's like, what would be on there? Like some Don Henley, of course. Beach maybe Boys. The higher love, but yeah, okay. Because I remember the me generic, and my friends would go, go to Beatles like, go to the Hooters. Yeah, it's got a near my house. Me too. That's what I was gonna say. That is my jukebox experience. We would like, like eat chicken wings. I mean, my main blue jukebox. <laughs> my main jukebox memories really come from. When I would go uh, with my friends to the bowling alley, we would shoot pool mm-hmm. and smoke cigarettes and uh, eat McDonald's. And uh, and we would put on things. I remember always putting on like War Pigs by Black Sabbath and, oh, yeah, you and get Paint some It Pink Black Floyd by the Rolling Stones mm-hmm. and Pink Floyd. Oh, and, yeah, you, could, you know, you could really like stock the jukebox. Yeah, you have to really be selective and like flip through. And then you'd have to wait. And then you have to wait. Because someone already played the songs in front of you. And you have to wait yeah. for them. Or, in their case, the songs might be amazing that were played no, in front great. of you. No, it's totally I've cool. never had yeah. that because it was, great. It was, it was just a, great experience a corporate though, world here. You'd be like feeling real cool when your songs came on. And, and, and people and, liked it. And you it, saw the response. It's like it, you're a DJ. And everyone's like, yeah, you know. Simpler times. These were simpler times. So, yeah, as we said, like Roger Eagle was just an icon of his era. He was a tastemaker and he created, as Bill Drummond said, Northern, what is known as Northern soul in the UK. I mean, this is okay. his brand. All right. So we, Sweet. He's amazing. Okay. So again, we've got them coming to this place where an entire world is created and you meet like-minded people. And then there's some kind of spirit of inclusion and people start sharing ideas. It's so rare for young people and so essential. And, you know, like Pete Wiley even said, and this is, I'm quoting from Turquoise Days, you need to own this book. It's got to go into print again. So he says, Eric's had this great big feeling that was mutual. Everyone was just part of something that was bigger than they realized at the time. But you knew you were onto something just the same. Also not a feeling I experienced that some of these, you know, bands were formed, you know, yeah. and stuff. But, like, this was a, a real feeling of, like, right place, right time. Totally. And you found the people who are questioning it pretty, all. Pretty you know, epic. you have to band together. It's really epic. Yeah, and nothing's ep- more epic than being a teen, which is why this is, like, going to be one of my favorite parts of podcasts, you know? All right, let's get back to business. Back to business, all right? All right. All right, wake okay. up. We're about to talk about... Pete number two, the second Pete of the podcast. Pete DeFritis. No. No, not there yet. Okay. Not there. Go ahead. Pete Fullwell. Okay. Now, this is Eric, I'm sorry, this is Roger Eagle's business partner. Oh. 
he had like some some kind of arty background and Roger employs him or goes into business with him and Pete Fulwell comes up with this idea okay we're gonna have bands come they're gonna come and play here but let's see if they will do a matinee show we can get all these teens to become members and do like an early show Ah. Like five o'clock. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. Right, and yeah. then get the younger crowd coming to right. the shows. And probably not pay them. You know, well, that's a class. That's a classic move. <laughs> oh, this will be like you know, get your feet wet kind of stuff. They do that at all kinds of clubs. Yeah. They do. They do that at CBGBs in New York. You really? know, like it was like you know, like you're gonna go test drive your band or whatever. You know, so yeah. it's like a. A no pay situation uh-huh. to kind of let's play an extra almost show. like audition. Like I was reading about like uh, Talking Heads. You know, yeah. talking about when the the clubs like scouting the young the young bands, yeah. so they get them in there to play a, a free or a cheap show. Whatever clubs yeah. still do that. It's no big deal. But you know, but everyone here's the thing. Everyone loved Roger Eagle. That's great. I, when everyone I like loves now, now a that club, I know him. well, yeah. and but people, well, but like everybody liked them. Yeah, that's rare. You know, a lot of times club owners are assholes. Yeah, but it's he's more like a Jesse McSwain. Right. Or Mothlight. John Hensy is so Amanda sweet. Hensie. Everybody yeah. loves them. You know, one of these people they do right by the artists, and I yeah. feel like maybe Roger Eagle was. I believe that. Or yeah. you know, and, and there's no money in a oh, new there's band. There's no money in a yeah. new band. Like you got unless unless you got a mixed economy, like we talked about in the <laughs> previous episode. But like, you know, uh, if there's no money, then and there isn't in England. Uh, actually, that's the big thing about everyone says about touring in England, that like musicians. If you're doing like small scale touring, like yeah. in Europe, you, they give you a hotel and some food and like, you know, 500 euros. Oh my God, I couldn't believe it. When but we in went England, there, though, in England, it's like America. It's like America Nothing. where they're like, here's a floor and like a can of PBR <laughs> and like $17, you know, it's like, and, uh, and you're going to sleep in a smoky ass, you know, so yeah, yeah that's like the, the that's yeah. why I've never been probably. Um, I want to so. go to England. What was I saying though? About the biz? I think you're done. That's it. That's it. So, Ian and Pete are all excited to go to their first, like, club, right? Go hang at, like, yeah, yeah. rock and roll club, right? Totally. So, they get in line, and they're kind of like, I don't know if we're going to make it in, man. Me neither. Now, notice we're always doing American accents for these guys. This is like we're overdubbing their lives with American accents, because it's really annoying. I think I'm, I've done a, a good handful of those. <laughs> I know. On no the one's podcast. written us to tell us it's annoying, but I just, I feel annoyed when I'm editing. I'm like, God, we just, you know, we're not doing justice. Yeah. So we're um, going to do American. The Holy Hour podcast, they can really do some British accents. Oh, on really? That one. Yeah. Oh, it's that's like, good. it's pretty impressive, but we're not good at it. So we were good. So they're like, I don't know, man. This is my Ian voice. I don't know. I'm afraid I won't be able to get in, you know? <laughs> Oh, come on, man. You can, you'll be able to get in. We'll, be, we'll get there, you know, blah, blah, blah. That's like P. Wiley, okay? Okay. So they're staying in line, and you pay like five bucks. I can't remember. I read about all this stuff like a year ago. So you pay some money, and you fill out this little membership form. And then let me tell you what they ask you. It says you need your name, your address, and your date of birth, and a signature, right? Wow. <laughs> you paid some money. That's in depth. <laughs> and you're a member for the year. And you can get into the shows. So they get in, and the two of them are the 49th and 50th people through the door. To get a membership? To get in. I don't know. Okay. That's what I, yeah, that's what I heard. They're like the 49th and 50th okay. people on the list to get in the door. They go see... Some shows now that are going to change their life. They see The Runaways, The Sex Pistols, The Stranglers. I think those are the first three shows that Eric... Sounds like they all went to all of them. Wow. And this is the point when an entire world is going to open up. Yeah. Liverpool is going to explode. It's like a renaissance. Oh, you have no idea. It's a place to meet like-minded people. You need those places. You need them. And like now everyone in the city is going to be in a band. All right? Yeah. Now, 
think we can just stop it there. Okay. And we can pick it up. Wow. Once now that we're in the door. We got through the door. And we can start talking about some of these bands. And it's going to blow your mind. Oh, I can't wait. All right. So okay. stay tuned, everybody. Write us an email at echoinherepodcast at gmail.com. Echo in here podcast at gmail.com. Echo in here podcast at gmail.com. Tune in next time. Yeah.